現実かこれは本当の世界かこれは渋谷これは東京これは東中野
この最低などころか最悪現実の方がいいと思った夢よりでも違うな全然違う現実は苦しみだけやるところだ愛が存在しない行為も存在しない良いことの全部は存在しない俺思うとことね美しさがあったらそれだけあったら幸せになれるそれは本当に思ったでも美しさは幻想だけ本当のものではないなんでずっと前からみんなにそれ言っていた美しさあったら幸せになれるよいつもそれ言っていたけど嘘だったか間違えたこの考え方は嫌だこのままで考えたくないでもこれは現実黒いところ地獄みたいなところなぜなぜなんでなの理由本当にわかんないわかんない現実はこの難しいわからない多分この現実で欲望があるからその理由かもしれない俺にとって欲望が強い愛がもっと欲しい声がもっと欲しい俺の好きな人がいてほしいいろいろが欲しいけど欲望は無限のこと絶対終わらない死ぬまで人生は欲望だけこれ感じたくないよ幸せになりたいやっぱり現実は怖い現実から逃げたいもう嫌だ嫌だ逃げたい逃げたい俺はこのままで続きたら俺は何になるの誰か助けてくださいよ誰か助けて助,助けて新世界をまだ作りたいけど無理だ人間の心の中に何があるのかな死ぬまでこの現実だけある気持ちが薄い死ぬまで何がある誰でも分かんないどうすればなりたい自分になる死にたくないでも死ぬまでこれだけあるの生きるのもきつい仕事したから不人間の苦しい苦しいことが嫌だ何のために生きる ?So I'm thinking a lot about the difficulties of being alive recently and、uh, hardship How do you turn the tragedies and monotony of everyday life into ecstasies that make it all worth it? Who has a thought about this? I think you have to turn into love You have to turn into love <laughs> It's a good, but it's a good start. Okay, that's a, that's a good idea. Because I'm very committed to 
the real world or whatever and like escaping like the internet escaping weird social phenomenon and like being like the present in genjitsu so but the more i do that i'm realizing it's very hard and you can get like fired from your job or like broken up with or like rejected or just generally miserable or the weather's really hot so how 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 do you do it what do we think so I think the first step is that you have to find people. Like you can't do it by yourself in your room. Like <laughs> you have to go and find weird places and you have to go there a bunch until you know people. Uh-huh. Like you have to find a weird bar and talk to all the bartenders until they know who you are and they introduce you to other customers. You need to go stand around wearing a strange outfit in a strange place. And eventually you'll get to know interesting people and then you can kind of Consolate your way out into the universe, and mm-hmm. eventually you'll know enough people to do fun things multiple times a week. Okay, so your answer is kind of like people generally. It's kind of like networking. <laughs> <laughs> Did you say networking? Yeah, I guess you have to do it, and then after a bit, you'll have enough people, and then you can have a good time. Well, when I think about the stuff that's the most like joyful in the last like few mm-hmm. weeks for me, I would mm-hmm. definitely say most of my memories are like specifically with you. But you know that's true. Yeah, I know. I don't know why I'm making like a humble face. I know. <laughs> <laughs> that's because we networked. Yeah, we networked. So we went to interesting places and wore silly outfits, and we recognized that we could be good people to have fun with together. Was I in drag the first time we met? Yeah, because I was looking for the drag show and I'd never been there before and I saw you outside smoking and you told me what the drag show was. Ah. But we didn't become friends then, that was just a, a brief interaction. That's right. And then the next time I met you when we talked about Pinku Ega, I was not in drag. The next time I met you, I don't remember, but some guy was like, oh my god, she's got a podcast. I was like, how fucking stupid. And then, <laughs> then I like made friends with you and then I listened to your podcast and I really liked it. Thank you. Um, but I don't remember. I think... Hmm. Yeah, sorry, I can't remember what you were wearing. But That's fine. You made a good impression of me, and we talked about blue is the warmest color. That's right. And I was worried you hated me because I was like, I don't know if I care for that movie. <laughs> I was like, I'm glad you cared about my opinion upon first meeting me. Yeah, no, I did. That makes me feel like I have gravitas. <laughs> okay, what do you think about this question? I don't know. I mean, I'm kind of, especially lately, I'm kind of the opposite of that, where I have no external connections to the point where I forget I have like a body because I'm just like. <laughs> living in the imaginary world of academia and reading books about Buddhism every fucking day. Uh-huh. Um, but for me, I one thing that has always really, really stuck with me ever since I watched it was um, the bit in Twin Peaks when he's like, give yourself a present every day without planning it. Mm-hmm. Like, I try to find, like, one... Even if it's something, like, really little and stupid. Like, if I've been in the library all day, I'm really stressed. I'm like, you know what? Like, I'm going to go to the clean store and get, like, a drink. And then while I'm there, I'm like... I'm gonna get like a little snack I've never tried before or something uh-huh. like that. And like just doing like even one small thing for myself every day or like one small thing that I'm doing just because I'm interested in, not because I have to or anyone's making me or I have any like obligation to it. Like that to me becomes really important. Even if it's just like taking the long walk to the station, like from, you know, if I take the way around to the station from campus where I get to like walk by like the trees and like tracks and the church and the sunset and like you know just taking that moment for myself even if it's like a little thing yeah has become very important to me over the past like you know six or so months 
I was a lot like that when I was in Mie. I remember I read a book of Wordsworth poems and it like really inspired me to like start like wandering when I go home. And if you like take like streets you've never been down before, there's always like something like interesting every time. That's how you always like run into like those like duffel bags like full of Madonna yeah, exactly. and stuff. Well, I always go like I always take a really long roundabout way to the supermarket too, where I go through like the back streets and over the covered up rivers and stuff. Uh huh. And like today, I'm gonna walk back by the river, even though like it's faster to go on the main street. I like walking by the river too. But also, I'm glad you brought up Twin Peaks because I showed them the clip of Candy in The Return when she talks about all the cars on the freeway. It's during the scene where they're eating pie. You've got miles to go. That one. No, not that we. That one too. That but one it's she, it's the pink bunny girls. Yeah, yeah. And she's standing there, and she goes, "They're like, Candy, like, where have you been?" And then she's like, "There were so many cars on the strip." <laughs> and she's like, looks at the, and she's just like, "Traffic." And I just like, oh, I get that. It's the same like kind of vibe. It's like you look at the mundane things all the time and just try to make it seem new but at the same time I also get like is it enough mm. I mean I think it's a, a um, I think it's a sign of isolation of like when you need to find like the uh, the meaning and like the tiny meaningless things it's like you know on the flip sides and like okay you don't you probably aren't having a lot of like meaningful interactions on a day-to-day basis uh-huh. but like recently I just haven't been so that's interesting yeah, I feel like there's a middle ground between what Maggie and I kind of were thinking about, like, the ecstasy of life is people, and then the opposite is the ecstasy of life is a duffel bag full of Madonna CDs yeah. and VHS tapes. What do you think, Hiku-chan? <laughs> I don't... If I knew the answer, I think I wouldn't be lying right now, but... Uh-huh. Mm, I think... I don't know, Maybe... If you had, like, two lives... Mm-hmm. I mean, if you could die and, and you know, just like, uh, just go back to normal, just mm-hmm. like you were, I think dying, <laughs> I think it's kind of good if you could die right, like, right now and just like, yeah, completely stop everything. It's, yeah, I think that will help, but I think like, the same thing all the time, literally just dying. Do you anticipate dying a little bit? Like, are you excited to die just a bit? A little bit. Yeah, me too. Because birth and death are the only two completely singular, ubiquitous experiences. Mm-hmm. And they're both things that you only get to do one time. And then after you die, you have to find out what happens. Maybe. Maggie seems afraid of death. No, no, no. no I, I like the idea of death, actually. I read a really interesting article the other day about how if you're in Switzerland, you can have a really lovely death where they put you in a little pod with the person you love and all your like great nieces and nephews have to play you violin concertos. They fill you up with flowers and like gas you nicely. And since I read that, I was like, wow, yeah. I like, I don't care about like marriage or like buying a house, anything like that, but I thought that would be a lovely way to die and mm-hmm. a lovely thing to anticipate. You know, people are really upset about that concept of like, uh, what's it called? Uh, euthanasia, assisted yeah. dying. Assisted maybe? suicide, is that what they call it? Oh, we call it assisted dying in Europe, but maybe we're less sensationalist about it. I don't know. I, I think it might be called assisted dying as mm. well, but people think it's like the most evil thing in the world that people are like convinced or like coerced into doing it. They made a Japanese film about it lately called, like, Plan 84 or something like that. Oh, really? I haven't heard of that. Mm. I think they call it, um... 
in America, like, a lot of people that are proponents of it, like, call it, like, death with dignity. Oh. Mm, yeah, I've had that. Isn't it lovely you can, like, die with a person you love? Like, yeah. I think that's nice. Well, I want to engineer my own death, and I think about that mm. all the time. Like, I want to curate my death, because the way you mm. die kind of finalizes and, like, turns the narrative into... This is, like, what happens if you read too much Mishima when you're, like, 18, but, like... <laughs> <laughs> but it, I do think, you know death does make it worthwhile but maybe people don't consider it very often how often do you all think about death probably every day every day me yeah, too I would say that every day you all think about death every day <laughs> are we representative <laughs> I, I was gonna say this might be a, a poor population sample but do you mm. think most people think about death every day I don't know I mean I feel like it, in one sense it'd be hard not to like we're constantly confronted with our own you know, the fragileness of our meat sacks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I also, like, tend to, on a daily basis, like, imagine, like, um, freak catastrophic accidents oh, I that, that, that like, take me out. And I don't know if everyone does that on a daily basis. I think everyone does it sometimes. Uh-huh. But... I don't do that, like, ever. Oh, okay. Well, so how do you think about death? I know, I'm like, well, if you get really tired, you get to kind of lie down and take, like, a forever nap. <laughs> Sounds <laughs> lovely. <laughs> How do you think about death? Uh, I think it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Romantic, I guess. Mm-hmm. Romantic is the right word. Yeah. Back in my high school, I, uh, one of my classmates, well, he's a little older, but uh, he committed suicide at, at uh, the bathroom in a dorm, mm-hmm. in a school dorm. And, uh, you know, I was like maybe 15, 16, and I was like depressed like everyone else. But, mm-hmm. And I wasn't really suicidal, but he died, and it was like, I thought something like, oh, he died for me as well, for my, like, sins and, you know, for all suffering. So, like, I kind of saw him as, like, a Jesus of mine, uh-huh. personal Jesus. So, so, it's like, okay, I don't have to die then. It's like, that's, that's how I am right now. So, you projected, like, a lot of, like, your, uh, like, feelings onto him and, like, yes. made it, mm, That's interesting. I feel like people did that with the girls who died in a drunk car accident, um, at my high school. But I didn't know them very well, so it was kind of just like a strange, like, block. Whenever I've encountered death, it's always been really weird. Like, uh, when my family friend got, like, murdered, or, like, my grandparents, I've always felt a little detached from other people's deaths, which might make me a sociopath. No, I kind of get that, and, like, um, I don't know if this is a British thing, but we have very much a kind of, like keep calm and carry on like just get over it this is what's gonna happen Mm -hmm. to everyone kind of attitude um like my local village actually was the site of the uk's worst ever mass shooting Mm -hmm. a few years ago and it was very much like that like a day of like complete horror and the next day everyone's like okay then like let's keep going yeah um i think it makes sense it's kind of hard to like reckon with like the abject absolutism of death. Like, mm-hmm. I think you kind of have to distance yourself a little. Well, it's interesting, too, because I feel as if when it comes to figures that are, like, abstracted from me that I mm-hmm. don't know personally, then I have a lot of license for emotion. Mm-hmm. Like, when Sakamoto Ryuichi died, I was really upset. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember when the Pulse shooting happened in America. Oh, yeah. oh, mm-hmm. I was, like, up really late that night at a mm-hmm. party, and I was, like, on a lot of coke or something, mm-hmm. and I like, remember reading it, and it really, like, shook me to my core. Mm-hmm. Um, or if I think about people dying in, like, the Fukushima disaster, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. that upsets me, too. But then if it's, like, personally related to me, it mm-hmm. turns into something else. 
I guess it's because I'm not that afraid of dying. And so people who are, like, connected to me in some way, maybe I just like, extend that feeling towards them. I don't know. I think I wasn't, like, exposed to death enough as a child, maybe. Mm. So, like, when I've lost people as an adult, it's been, like, really hard to get over. Yeah. Um, like, even just watching uh, Gone with the Wind earlier today. Uh-huh. Uh, or I say earlier today. And, like, <laughs> one hour ago, we were watching Gone with the Wind. Um, the scene where she, like has to turn it when Scarlet like leaves the room oh when she leaves uh, Melanie yeah yeah yeah. Um, like the moment of like having to turn your back on someone knowing it's like the last time you ever see them like you know that's happened like a few times in my life and I like remembering that moment I was like that's always the hardest thing is like turn around and know like that's it like that's the last time I'll be in the room with their physical body you know yeah what I mean? And then when people die, you reduce them into, like, memory ghosts that just uh, follow yeah. you around forever, and you only have, like, your impression of them, and they can never, like, add to that, and it's just the image mm. you've constructed of them forever. Mm. I think about that a lot, because, um, like, my I had a friend in Japan for quite a while named Reina, who um, mm-hmm. took her own life in 2020, and I, like, remember thinking, like, now our friendship is, like, stop forever you know what I mean I'll never do anything with her again but then it's like you know what if I like didn't actually know her you know what I mean I'm just like mm-hmm. sitting here now that she's gone thinking that we were like super close and then like you know you know I could have been like wrong you know what I mean mm-hmm. I guess death like narrativizes like once you die you kind of become part of other people's story because you're kind of like a stopping point for reflection in their own lives absolutely no I think about that all the time that's mm-hmm. why I I'm interested in curating my own death. Mm. Not as suicide necessarily, but as, like, styling it. Mm. Because it does, like, create narrative and, like, Mm. the way that it happens, like, Mm. throws context and, like, Mm -hmm. you know, finalizes Mm. the mark you've left on Earth. Are you all concerned with, like, what you leave behind? Like, or, like, what you do as a person? Like, do do you think about that? Like, how people will remember you like when you're dead are you worried that you have or haven't like changed something in some way yes absolutely. I don't think I particularly think about that like I don't want I don't think of like I need to leave something behind or like change some part of the world but I do mm-hmm. think about how people get like how people like people and things and entire like you know errors get like just forgotten and completely lost to time and stuff. gone with the wind <laughs> I was oh. joking. Oh, uh, I thought you were being serious. I was like, no, that's very poignant. No, I'm, I'm kind of joking, but I mean, yeah, because that, that's kind of what that's about. Yeah. What do you think, Hiku? I think if, if I died right now, people would be like, meh. It's like, okay. I would be extremely disturbed if you died right now. <laughs> but, you know, like, uh, I think it's something like Ryu Murakami said, men uh-huh. don't have anything. So, like, men are expendable, while uh-huh. a, man, a woman or uh, tr- it's uh, it's not a gift. It's like, Sendihin is it's kind of like a it's those, those things that you ha- really have to earn to get because mm-hmm. just I don't know just like, straight men don't they don't have anything like they're actually like a real queen or something is mm-hmm. what he said so like men have to that's why men have to create the world it's like we, we do like a, our architecture math or just philosophy we just do something right because mm-hmm. we don't have anything so we have to do something yeah, because the maternal bond is so intense. Like, everyone has a relationship to their mother. And even if their mother is absent, you know, 
it's like that relationship is so idiosyncratic and so any woman that is a mother will have a huge mark in that they have like permanently psychologically like shaped the existence of someone but men have to knowing that that ne not necessarily like may happen like they have to do things other do you feel like a male responsibility to create in that way then probably yeah i yeah. think i do as well it's like yeah I, I i have a feeling yeah like it's like sometimes like uh, i want to kill myself but I'm, I'm not gonna do it but like mm -hmm. but i haven't really done anything like to the world like you know you're also 20 <laughs> so it's like you have time not yeah. yet not yet uh-huh I would be more disturbed if you created your great work of art already. That would be bad news. Mm. Because then you wouldn't make another one after. And I'd feel really bad, personally, <laughs> if you created a great work of art. Yeah, I'd also be art, jealous like... and I would hate <laughs> you. Because <it's laughs> so so I was thinking of, like, Brett Easton Ellis, who, like, wrote, like, one of his, like, his first novel when he was extremely young. Mm. I mean, even Mishma, like, published when he was, like, 23. Like, mm. um, yeah, I mean, I'm getting older now. I'm turning 27 mm. really soon, and I haven't, like... I have my podcast, but and, and I know that's left some positive impression on some people's lives, but it's, like, when I'm, like, coping with the difficulties of reality, and, like, mm. it's a little crushing to know that I'm, there's been very little accomplished. Mm. Which is why it's nice to synthesize things like the beauty of mundanity that Angel was talking about, and mm. the joy of, like, friendship and mm. relating with people. Mm. I mean, if I didn't have you around to, like, bounce my feelings mm. off of, like, where those wouldn't even go anywhere. They just, like, mm. go into, like, unpublished, you know, literature and my diary. Yeah, I think it's so important to, like, develop ideas by having people to bounce them off. And I also think that, like, I've been thinking a lot recently about extremity and about how we can find out, like, a lot more about ourselves by being in slightly more extreme situations. Mm -hmm. Like, it doesn't even have to be anything dangerous, but, like... For example, like, I've been walking home a lot recently, and it's not something that I would usually do weekly to walk home, like, 60 to 90 minutes, like, alone at, like, 3am or 4am. But even, like, an experience like that, just being, like, a little bit different or, like, a little bit more, like, physically taxing is quite nice in a world where it's, like, any time of the day I can buy myself, like, a donut yeah. <laughs> or, like, quench my thirst or, like, I mean, get validation on the internet. It's really remarkable how mm. convenient life is, you yeah. know? And how ridiculous is it that, I mean, we were just, like, watching Gone with the Wind, like, watching, like, Scarlet, mm. like, just, like, when she is, like, scavenging into mm. the dirt and, like, eats a, like, rotten turnip and scoffs mm. it up and it's, like, I'm, like... I'm sad. I'm like, mm. like, oh my life. And then I'm just like, mm. let me buy like my fried chicken at mm. the convenience store. Mm. In front of me, look how much luxury is here. Air conditioning, multiple forms of bottled and canned alcohol, all relatively cheap. A machine that instantly boils water. Infinite entertainment in the form of a go board. <laughs> and that is just on the table as I'm holding a mic on top of it. Mm. <laughs> no, I think it's very easy to like, I don't know. Like, if we, like you said, if we had, like, died right now and then came back, we would be so aware and grateful of all these things. But, like, I think it's very easy to lose track of just, like, the, the, these automated conveniences because they become, like, a burden and a slog in some ways, too. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. There's so much messaging about how you have to 
stay hydrated like you have to maintain we'll do that BMI, one please or like you have to pay your taxes yeah but that's the thing it's stay like, hydrated. what's gonna happen if you don't like you know there's so much no, pressure that's... to like optimize yourself at all minutes of the day i think it's fine to sometimes like not eat for a day or yeah. do something stupid like the world is gonna keep turning is my feeling i think it's fine to not eat for a day yeah i, I didn't eat on monday though. Mm. yeah i think it's good but i'm also like you know, like, that creates a kind of anxiety of, like, constantly monitoring yourself like a Tamagotchi. Oh, yeah. I think well, I mean, that's true. Good. That's what I mean by kind of, well, that's like, why I hate having the, like, extremity. That's why I hate, like, the Fitbits and stuff. Yeah, I hate those. That stuff is, is terrible, really. Step counting? Yeah. You, 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 you can't turn your life into numbers like that. I was just I think it's bad to, like, start, like, keeping track of things in that way. Mm-hmm. Like, I've started, um... Obviously, using like Letterbox this year. I was literally just and about then to I say started. That. I started keeping track of all the books I've read this year because I wanted mm-hmm. to like. On one hand, I was like, "Oh, it'd be nice if I could look back this year and like, feel like I've contributed to my own interests uh-huh. and like made progress in like things I want to do, like watch more movies and read more books." But at the same time, then it be like, I have to actively talk myself out of it being like a, um, like a game in a way. Yeah, mm. it's very gamified, mm. especially with like people our age. You yeah. know. Because if you can just turn something to a number and like mm. say like I read six hundred books, I watched mm. as many movies, I've seen this, 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 this blah 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 blah. Mm. Like then you feel like you've won like a little special treat for the mm. game and you can like gloat and then you don't like consume mm. anything real from it at all. Yeah, it's like a resume for yourself. Ew Yeah, isn't it gross? Everything's a resume. Mm. Now that I'm like you know, job anxious or conscious or whatever and I'm just like thinking about that kind of stuff. Everything is like a fucking little like resume competition. Mm. That brings you to an interesting question I want to ask, which is how do you cope with being professionally unsuccessful? <laughs> do you consider yourselves professional? Mean, Kiko oh. doesn't get to answer this question because he's <laughs> four. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, I don't think of I'm myself as particularly professionally successful. Obviously, I'm like working in like a field I want to be working in. But, you know, there are people who are very, very dedicated to that field and put a lot of time into. Um, like, you know, if you want to do legal translation, learning about, uh-huh. like, legal shit. Or, like, you know, I'm interested in, um, I see that Symphionetta thing from 1Q84. Um, I'm interested in doing, like, mm-hmm. medical translation, but not enough to, like, get off my ass and start, like, actually studying for it. I just, like, dream about it. So in that sense, I think a lot of people are very dedicated to this field in a way that I'm not, because I, I, like, I like translating, but I don't, like, care about it. Yeah. Like, when I'm, like, I don't care about... I don't feel that I am worth more by being good at it or bad at it. Like, I just don't pin my um, idea of, like, success in my life about, like, working or making a lot of money, which is good because I never will in this field. (laughs) So it's a good thing I'm not worried about making a lot of money because I'm certainly in the wrong job for it, but... What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think it's an interesting question because I think my concept of success depends a lot whether I'm talking about foreigners living in Japan or people our age in our respective home countries. That's very true. Like honestly, Angel, I would say that I consider you quite successful by foreigners in Japan standard because your job requires like, a mastery of Japanese. You're you're so shined, sure. I'm not so shine, but really? well I thought you were so that No that, no then I would be like, woo mm. But yeah, like the idea that you have like 
developed a skill through your commitment to building a life here and are expressing that daily in your work, I think is very admirable. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, I see myself as extremely professionally unsuccessful <laughs> because I did absolutely nothing to warrant the job that I have. Um, see, I feel like um, you and the other people that work at your company are more successful than me because you make a lot more money than I do. Well, I'm very lucky. I would say, but I wouldn't call myself successful. Um, like, I like my job, okay? Um, I think what keeps me feeling good about it is the fact that it gives me a lot more free time, uh. which can be a blessing and a curse, but that allows me to study, volunteer, and write, which are three things that I actually do care quite a lot about. Yeah, I think that is how I would measure success too, is like having that kind of like time because mm. having like a nine to five as you know just kind of like sucks up all of your I mean time yeah. to other things. Like I get home from work at like seven or something and then I'm mm. like, Alright, I wanna write for an hour, but then you're just like depressed from like looking at a computer, sending mm. emails all day, like yeah. not caring about what you do, just like mm. sitting there mm. and it's like because I want to like subscribe to the philosophy of you know oh you know work is just you know my visa it's just mm. like what I have to do to get by but mm. then it's like it's a huge percent of your life yeah, yeah. and being unsuccessful at it and then going home and being drained from it I mean this is an excuse like you can always like force yourself to overcome but it would be like more convenient mm. if it wasn't so demanding yeah definitely. and it wasn't like getting home like seven like Mm. sweating to death like on the fucking walk back to the station or whatever mm. but I, mean, I think too because we both have like a a side pursuit of drag that yeah. is like mm. you know something that gets done at like certain time frames and like certain right. spaces where mm. you know having a 9 to 5 like, really gets in the way of that you know what I mean yeah mm. well I get self-conscious about my drag and my success in that too mm. you know oh well, yeah definitely I think that's when I started I was like you know I need this to be fun and if I ever stop enjoying it, I'm going to stop doing it. I always have fun, but... But, like, you definitely... Like, when I first started, I didn't care at all, because I didn't do anything that mattered. Uh-huh. And then, like, the more you do it, I've only become, like... It's only been harder and harder for me to, like, not compare myself to other people as I've kept doing I it. Get you know it. I get mean? it. And Tokyo is so intense for it, because there's so many people doing it. There's yeah, so few some bookings. Yeah, good at it. Oh, everyone's amazing at it. Mm. And, well, not everyone, because, you know, I'm sitting in the room, but I'm not shitting on myself. I'm just joking. But some of the but people who are really good at it have... No perspective. E either, either, like, that is their job, or they have a um, very, like, either freelance-based or, like, um, similar, like, beauty... Or they have money. Beauty industry, creative industry job, or both. Yeah. Well, one thing that I can say about you and me in terms of drag is that I don't think anyone does anything that we do ever. Oh, yeah. I think, like... You know, as long as you're making your own like artistic statement, that's that's the only time I would feel like I failed is if I didn't like. I, yeah, I agree. if I didn't do something like authentic to me. Yeah, that. But is it's hard to think true. that sometimes. I've definitely like you know, there are times I'm like alone in my house or I'm like, oh my god, everything I've ever done sucks. Uh -huh. But like, but that's why I felt to drag me. <laughs> I was like, oh, and I'm just kidding a little bit, but no, it's like, yeah, I think as long as you're doing something original, I mean. That also kind of makes, like, the struggle of, like, genjitsu a little easier. Mm. If you're, like, contributing something. Mm. But it's hard. It is hard. I want to run away sometimes, but, like, there's nowhere to go. Mm. Because you just have this until you die. Yeah, no, I feel that. And then you have, like, distractions, like, the internet that you can just, like, jerk off into infinitely. And, like, you know, it just, like, spits shit back out at you. 
so you come on it and then the mm-hmm. like ejaculate like mutates and in, into like alien acid from like alien <laughs> and then it spits back at you and it like moats your fucking bones through that's and so then you wear it to school yeah and then- <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I definitely, when I, like, you know, I, this is obviously, like, the most typical experience, uh-huh. and I'm aware that almost everyone has thought this, but, like, when I started working, and I was like, wow, it's just this again forever, and that's yeah. part of why I went back to school, because I was like, well, Isn't it horrifying? I'd, li- I'd like to ruin my life in a totally different new mm. way. But everyone I know, not everyone, but I don't, like, really know almost anyone except for one person, I think, who, like, loves their job, and then they, the people who love their job, like, that's just, like, what they do. Crazy. I am so haunted by a coworker, who, I was like, like, what, what do you want to do? Like, what are your goals? And he's like, oh, I already know. We just want to like do good job. And I was like, huh? And he's like, I guess I kind of want to have a good time with my girlfriend. And I was like, okay, what? Like, what else? I'm like, do you want to like? <laughs> so I mean, that, that's like a noble goal, I guess. Is like to like enjoy life with your partner. Mm. But I'm like, there's nothing that. Nothing? I guess if that's like a sign of success to you, it's just about like getting married or having a family and then coming home to your like domestic space. Well, and it's crazy because I mean, I want that too. Like, mm. I, I, like, I want to like get married and like wash my husband's like laundry and like wish him off in the morning and like mutually like Owen and mm. you know. But then it's like, but what if that was it? There, I think there's a lot of people that just like do that and like yeah, oh yeah I, so. I mean first of all, everyone I went to high school with for one I asked mm. this guy once I'm like oh like when was the last time you like read a novel not in a patronizing way because that makes you sound like a <laughs> yeah. when was the last time you read a novel you dumb retard no I was like I was like oh like what's like the last novel you read and then he was like what's a novel <gasps> oh my god I'm like, I'm like you have like an idea though right and he was like yeah it's like a book I'm like yeah like like, <laughs> like what kind of book <laughs> It's such a suspicious answer. It's like a book. <laughs> Did he tell you what the last book he read was? He read a biography about seven years ago. That's not a novel. Not a novel. It's not a novel. It's not a novel. Do I sound like Dick Van Dyke when I do my little English accent right now? <laughs> yeah, you do. I'm usually I much better. I going for Australian. What? No. I'm, I'm notoriously horrible with accents, though, so... Uh, I'm usually pretty good at it, but only when I'm at work, because there's so many of them surrounding me. <laughs> it's like, we can do, like, a breadsheet thing. You can, like, give me the quote, and I'll read it out in my best co-worker voice <laughs> in a proper British accent for you. I always think British people are Australian, and vice versa. Well, because posh Australians have British accents. They oh, sound like they're from London, sense. yeah. Well, I think we've come to some good conclusions about how to cope with, uh... reality. It is hard. Very hard. And I'm always the one who's like trying to like oh like just like synthesize like turn it into like beautiful. But it's not that simple. When you just like really embrace like everything that is merely around you all the time, it's a lot of shit mm. and like doo doo, poo poo garbage that you just have to like <laughs> sift through. Like how much of my day is like made up of like shit that just sucks. I was. Do you know like the phrase like getting nibbled to death by ducks? No. Oh, it's just like a bunch of like small problems. Isn't there also? Like, like... I always feel like I'm always just doing a bunch of like, I do like twenty small bullshit stupid tasks uh-huh. every day that I just need to do to get my life running, 
then I'm like, what's left after this? You know what I mean? Mm. This is why Maggie is throwing herself into extreme situations because she needs the rush of primordial <laughs> human living. She needs yes. like the, the caveman hit of like, someone could kill me right now on my walk home. I need that to get to paying my cell phone bill. Yeah. <laughs> and like cleaning that's my right. That's exactly what I mean. It's like, oh, I have like a bill on the table. Oh, I have to pay my $1,000 apartment renewal fee oh, yeah, right Christ now. Alive. I wish somebody would just fight me on the street and like, <laughs> to distract me. Yeah. yeah, like, when I got, like, the shit kicked out of me, I was like, mm. I'm alive. And, oh then, and then I was psychotic for, like, two months and mm. was, like, freaky. Yeah. And, and the only other thing that is, like, you know, really, like, given me the rush of life outside of, like, violence or immediate threat uh-huh. is love. Mm, that's true. <laughs> and love is destructive. <laughs> love is even worse than violence, honestly. Love is the greatest form of violence. How many times have I brought up the assault in the last, like, four months? Maybe, mm. maybe 20 times? Yeah. How many times have I brought up some other concepts that I've <laughs> discussed with you people? Tonight, 704. Like. <laughs> well, that's good though. It means you have lots of things that make you feel alive. Come on. How do I want to feel? Like, what, what, what is the goal? Like, okay, I guess I want to be happy. What mm. is that? I don't know if I want to be happy. Like, I feel like if you're always trying to be happy, you're probably just going to be disappointed a lot of the time. Like, happiness is like a sometimes emotion, I think. <laughs> you, you can't, like, appreciate it if it's just always there because you're just going to want something else. Uh-huh. Like, I don't know. I think it's important to experience the full range of emotions. Yeah. And appre- like, sometimes when I'm really sad, I'm like, that's great. I have the capacity to feel that. I get that. That's, that's nice, true. You know? I've been... I've had times where I did not have the capacity to feel it, even though I should have. Yeah, and it's, and it's just up. like when you're just like dead inside. It's like not mm. me on Zoloft. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, it's not even. It's like there's just like nothing. There's, mm. you know, at least when I've been like really upset about like bad relationships and stuff, I've been mm. like, well, at least like you know, at least I'm alive and doing this. I literally mm. said that to Maggie yesterday. Was that yesterday? I don't know. We see each other like every day. For that days. was yesterday. Oh, I'm in much better mental condition considering all the, like, big drama I've had in the last few days than I even thought. Uh-huh. Smile through the pain. I'm smizing right now, but the camera can't see me. <laughs> the, the, audi- the, um, the, the audio camera can't see my smizing. Kiku, do, what do you think? Do you want to be happy? What do you want to be? Uh, I think, like, living is just suffering. And there's some sparkles of joys, like, sometimes. Yeah. And that's what you live for. I'm not 
Start over. It's Zach Langley Chi Chi. I'm so popular. <laughs> Did you miss me? It is season four. And my life is a travesty. <laughs> my life is fucked up. Like, what the hell? Um, I would say things couldn't be worse, but that's not true. Things can always be worse, which is what I have discovered since making the bold philosophical claim that we should not create a new universe and just embrace the ecstasy of the real fucking world. Well, the real world kind of sucks. It's not all that great here after all. It's depressing. And um, actually, maybe it's more than depressing. It's dehumanizing and horrific to finally realize that the conceptual material that has formed the spine of basically everything I've been saying for hundreds of hours on this podcast, well, it's just not quite right. I was able for so much time to look around me and say, oh, like, life is beautiful, extreme experiences can be rendered within your soul into powerful motivation or or art or the general ecstasy of being... Okay, all of this I have truly believed and fought for for the duration of I'm So Popular. This show is almost exactly three years old on the day this is coming out, and my general way of thinking about things is just not quite as practical as I thought it was. I really thought I hit the nail on the head. I thought with the end of season three that I had sorted all this out. I just had to turn the hardship of life into whatever it was I was suggesting. And now I stare directly into the hardship of life. And let me just say... It's not something you can tritely rewrite in your brain and your diary into something fun, cunty boots. It's actually agonizing and demoralizing and terrifying to endure. I'm not a nihilist. I don't want to die. I don't necessarily at this precise moment want to blow up the world and send every living being into the void, although the thought has occurred to me in the past few months. But I am suffering at the moment, truly. It probably sounds histrionic to say something like that because, you know, I'm merely a 26, very soon going on 27, like, gay guy who's, like, not that poor. You know, I have friends. I have people to hook up with. It sounds probably morbidly dramatic to say something like that. But I have been more plagued by desire and dissatisfaction in the last few weeks than I probably ever have in my entire life. I remember last year I did an episode about the internet and Serial Experiments Lane and how the internet was what was depressing me and getting attacked by random people or whatever for what I thought or blah, blah, blah was what was uh, making me so upset. 
And I remember, oh, I can't turn this into something meaningful. I can't write about this or, or make it beautiful in some way. But I actually realize now that there is a fundamental missing cavern or crater inside the surface of my soul that continues to persist and ache and terrorize me in new ways every day. I know that I'm kind of purposefully making myself sound like a little bit dramatic and ironic so that we can all laugh about this, but I'm I'm honestly going to be really serious um, and say that, you know, I've been thinking about this for as long as I can remember, and I felt a lot of shame about it, and it's been very difficult for me to come to terms with it, especially considering the state of um, how things are, but I know what this hole in my soul is, and it's it's hard to say this, to be honest. I'm, I'm struggling too, but the truth is that I am a transgender woman. Just kidding, bitch. Did I get you? <laughs> I'm not fucking trans. Listen, I am gay and miserable and having a really hard time, but I'm not going to, like, try to deceive myself with a gender identity crisis to uh, cover that up. If I church you with that, you don't know me well enough. I got you. But to be honest, like, I kind of do understand why people would feel so enmeshed in the horror of day-to-day life that they feel that the problem must be like some internal gender issue that they can you know magically start taking hormones and then like a magical sailor moon girl instantly become cunty forever and have all of their problems solved i kind of get it because the problems that i am thinking about right now and the pain that i'm experiencing and the hardship is, is I think, almost universal to young people alive in the 21st century, the worst century of all time. I would have rather dealt with World War II, I would have rather dealt with no technology, I would have rather dealt with a lot of shit than the utter lifeless, angry void that affronts me every day I log on to my phone and look at what's happening in America. And even in Japan, I still feel that way. I know that from time to time, I probably come across as portraying the country I live in, beautiful Nippon as a paradise on earth where nothing is wrong, but this kind of society that has spread its tendrils into every developed country in the world is one that generates true agony. We are in agonizing times. So it makes sense to me that people are peering into their own super egos and are looking at their own psychology and are picking apart themselves for questions of gender and then refracting those out ad nauseum onto the timeline and in public discourse. Because the agony that we are experiencing right now is so inconquerable that wouldn't it be nice if we could just say, we're trans, or we're this, or my identity means this, and then all of your pain and sadness can be 
wiped away with the simplicity of, oh, it's this single interior problem. But that's not the case. I think what is affronting me at the moment and what I'm having such a hard time with is something that probably everyone goes through. I hate working. I hate having to go to a job and be sneered at by people in some corporate environment where they view me as less than them because of my fucking work performance in a job industry that probably means less than nothing. I believe I am an interesting, charismatic, capable, powerful person, and yet, because I want a visa in this fucking country, I have to degrade myself to the levels of being looked down upon by people that I do not respect. Outside of that, I feel like there is a pulverizingly lonely cadence to the way that people interact with each other. And even as I've created a friend group that I really find truth and joy in, I still feel the coldness of isolation around me all the time. These are some of the biggest things that are affronting me. I mean, I feel creatively like a failure. I feel like I have very little, like, professional tract to make the things I'm good at into something that I can live off of. I feel like that dream has died for so many people my age. And wouldn't it be nice if I could just say, oh, well, it's just me, you know, it's just my gender, it's just my mental illness, it's this, this, this. No, it's actually the real world. The real world is almost nothing but suffering. It is almost nothing but desires that are born within you and then cannot be humanly met. And unless you can train to be a concentrated Buddhist monk who can relegate all of his or her desires into some weird meditation thing, unfortunately, the rest of us are going to have to deal with these desires that just keep spinning up inside of us and tearing us apart from the inside out. For the first time in my life, I am so in love that I am masochistically slashing apart the edges of my interiority. Every day I am spent almost on the verge of tears, just wondering how am I going to actualize these feelings? And I have to do that while I'm at work, underappreciated, unrecognized for the superstar genius that I know I am, potentially unloved and under a state of malaise that comes from being born into a generation that is masturbating itself with identity-affirming A24 Nintendo Switch Marvel bullshit of endless masturbation that placates you from the horror of the real fucking world. The real world is not working, and I'm stuck in it. And I'm not happy about it. At all. The end of the last season of I'm So Popular is all about recognizing that utopian thought and the lust for a new reborn universe is foolish thinking and we are stuck with what we have and we have to squeeze that for what it's worth. I still believe in that. But just merely trying to recontextualize the 
disasterscape that we are trapped in is merely not enough. It's not enough at all. At all. At all. And I don't want to live in a world where I'm constantly desiring and in pain because of my desires. I don't want to live in a world where I have to do this ridiculous horse and pony show of a job that doesn't mean anything without being able to imagine a creative, fulfilling... What It's all just nightmarish. This is hell. The real world is hell. Hell is not other people. Hell is not the internet. Hell is not your identity. The onslaught of reality itself is the worst thing that has ever occurred in all cosmic history. And you can't just smile at it and uh, make it fun. Unless you're, you know, a really hot straight girl with huge boobs and a nice job that you got for being a cool girl boss. And, you know, I'm happy for them. Would love to be her. Not going to transition to make it happen. But unless you're her, uh, things are real bad. And there's no escaping it. That much I know is true. I don't think that religion is necessarily the answer that would save someone from this. I don't think it is what I've previously suggested, which is to just try and turn that misery into creative experience. I don't think it's necessarily other people. I don't think it's about appreciation of the mundanity necessarily. I think all of these things play a part in how we can cope, but it's not any of them individually or specifically. There will always be the sparkles of life. Life is always going to be suffering, and there will be moments when you can either consciously in the moment or in retrospect look at something and perceive it as good and as making all of this suffering worth it. But even that feels like not quite enough. And that's like a really terrifying conclusion to come to because if what you love and and what you enjoy and what sparks joy for you, if that's not enough, like what possibly could be? I've been thinking about this a lot because there are these enormous spikes of wonderful experience that I get all the time in my life, um, whether it be noticing the hot men on the train, as I often talk about, or a particularly meaningful conversation with a friend or with a beloved figure, or if it's a concert that makes me tear up because I'm so happy to have seen a group I love, you know, all of those things help you cope, but When you think about it and you try to reconcile the enormous wall of unmet desire and suffering that I'm so obsessed with at the moment, they kind of get crushed. I barely even recognize myself talking this way. I think this is some of the most honest I've ever been uh, to myself and to you, to my diary, to anything I know that those pricks of joy, they're not cutting it. And I'm scared to know that, honestly. 
all we can do when we're alive is try to make it feel better. But... I don't want... I don't want it to be like this anymore. I don't want to feel this way. For a long time, the... Maybe the the most important kind of coping mechanism I had towards... This, uh... This pillar of feeling was my drag and my writing and the podcast and artistically believing that this could all mean something. But I've become really jaded recently. And sometimes I think about the general effect of what my show has done or what my drag means to anyone or my unpublished writing that just sits away and rots on my computer forever. And it feels really showy and unconvincing. So on top of all of this, it's just... It's not easy, is it? There are things I want to experience and things I want to accomplish and things I want to do. There's a person that I want to become even if in the face of the misery of modernity or whatever you want to call it it all feels impossible there are things that I want to make happen and I clutch onto those and try to use them as dreams to keep pushing myself forward do you have any dreams something you hope to do someday you have a reason to live don't you you know something you want to do tomorrow That's why we sleep. We sleep to forget the bad things. We tell ourselves that if we just get through today, we'll be okay. Using a convenience store microwave this late at night, what kind of miracle are you waiting for? You know what I'm saying, right? That before you know it, you've given up, but you pretend not to notice. Start over. Start Over is the sixth single from Sakurazaka 46, formerly known as Keikizaka 46, which I discussed at length with Jacques from Unpopular last season, and it is centered by Fujiyoshi Karin. I was immediately taken by this song when it came out, and in my habit of listening to synchronicities when they occur to you in the world, this song seemed to be beaming a message of direct, intense, harsh spotlight right onto my heart the second I first watched the music video for it. To give a little context for those of you who have inevitably forgotten 
Uh, Keiki Zaka, before it was reformed into Sakura Zaka, is an idol group produced by Akimoto Yasushi, and they were emblems of inner female youthful turmoil. And the messaging of the group was so intense that it ultimately led to its center, Hirata Yurina, or Techi, uh, quitting the group outright. She ignored idol norms and did not graduate, but left the group. And it left such a disastrous effect in this group of young Japanese performers that they had to entirely reconceptualize their entire group. They released a first single called Nobody's Fault and began reconciling their new image with what they were previously responsible for. Sakurazaka is in many ways quite similar to Keikizaka in their visual styling. They do not dress like typical idols, they seem to be cut a little bit from a different cloth, and they perform extraordinarily complicated and unusual choreography where they stretch and pile their bodies into unusual formations that are a little disturbing at times or unfriendly, but I would say that Sakurazaka comes across as a little bit more bright-eyed, clean, and professional than the sort of unhinged mania that Keikizaka presented in their own visual styling. In any case, this is a group of idols, uh, Japan's most beloved figures of youth, purity, and sweetness that feel somewhat corrupted and countercultural. They feel as if they were made directly to satisfy the urges of a extremely repressed society. It's made to kind of exercise and ritualize the deep and challenging feelings that occur when you live in a world that's so regimented by your work life and the sheer amount of people on the subway every day and the social norms that are so deeply codified that it becomes a literal linguistic phenomenon. So, of course, Sakurazaka feels a little bit like it's marketed to satisfy those, um, like, subterranean feelings that float about places like Tokyo. But nonetheless, I've always felt a really strong affinity with that sort of cleaned-up resistance, that even if you are cooperating and even, in fact, playing into the hand that feeds you can still insist upon individuality and make some sort of challenging statement. That has always been what has so fascinated and endeared me to this group of 22-seizing Ken Russell nightmare demon young girls. Start Over is probably the first single from the period after they reformed from Keikizaka into Sakurazaka that... I felt really spoke so intensely to my being. It really must have just been a matter of timing because when this song was announced and the title came out and then we began to see the first key visuals, it was right when I was becoming extraordinarily dissatisfied with my corporate existence and was becoming increasingly distressed by the social emotions from the outside world that were beginning to slash at me every day. And what we have in front of us, in terms of the music video, is all of these girls, 
a horde of them, the mass of them that I really can't understate, dressed in office lady attire. They are all costumed like trendy Japanese marketing employees and long, fresh skirts and perfumed blouses as they sit at their desks in a exorbitantly clean, polished room. It's this big industrial black office that still manages to feel somewhat trendy for how we know global homo to be styled in 2023. The center of the song, the most prominent vocalist and featured dancer of the number, as I mentioned, is Fujiyoshi Karin. And she's sitting at her desk, looking exhausted, with one hand posed on her face so that you can feel the exact sort of monotony and unhappiness just seething off of her. And as she looks directly into the camera, her nose begins to bleed. From thereafter, she begins to manically rip apart the office. She throws the files and paperwork from her desk. She knocks over the shelves. The shelves? She knocks over the shelves. Although, I guess you could say she knocks over this corporate shell of herself that she's become as she utterly ignites the office into literal flames. This fucking dumb big global homo block of gray slab concrete is set on fire by the end of the music video, and she slowly solicits the other members of the group to join her in this destruction um, as she forces them all into a pile and then steps on their backs to reach for something greater than this miserable existence that they've been cursed with. I don't mean to sound like the rabid otaku that I've become in like the last few months, but there is something so prescient and exhilarating about seeing these girls who are cast to be the perfect figures of innocence actively disrupt and desecrate the very systems that they're supposed to be helping keep up in place. Idols, in terms of their social function, I think are supposed to be these vaguely sexual outlets that men who are dissatisfied as salarymen and unhappy with their lives can distantly dream about. And most of the time, they'll give you, you know, pure smiles and inviting feelings of uncomplicated love. But then when you watch these girls who are, you know, as young as 17, 18, 16 even, when you watch them cast to deliberately break apart those systems that they're supposed to be appeasing, it feels, to me, vaguely revolutionary. And it feels to me like it could be prosperous of useful knowledge about how to cope with the tyranny of reality. There's a really beautiful moment in the music video where we've been watching them kind of break apart this office, and we see the center, Karin-chan, look straight into a sort of indecisive member of the group. They make this eye contact with each other and reach towards each other and embrace in this acknowledgement of just how bad things can be. And the lyrics read, Even if the wind blows and the plating peels, I'm not as dumb as that guy over there. I'd like to say I'm a little better than that. I'd like to turn to you and deny everything. In the end, we're birds of a feather. 
Can we still say after all? Is it too late? If I could just start over, I could do anything, right? You're like my past. I'll become your future. We're all just bundles of self-loathing. I've been speaking this episode about how I really feel that the deepness of pain in my heart is something that I believe is coming from the exterior universe that's affecting me so. And the idea of recognizing that and seeing yourself as a bundle of self-loathing, as it were, and then reaching out to someone and imagining a future where you can desecrate it and blow it all up so that you and 20 other beautiful little squirrel girls can start flailing around an erupting, burning down, combusting office, thrashing your arms, throwing papers as they rain down on you, and imagine a new way to live. Imagine seeking out a future that feels better than the horror of the current universe. To me, that is inspirational. What am I then? Who am I to judge anyone else? Before we know it, we're in our own little safe zones, looking down on others like professional critics. How do I get out of this lukewarm environment? Even if I were to fall, I want to at least be a main character. Instead of being protected by security cameras, I just want the freedom of not being watched. What can I sacrifice for that? No price is too high. So don't worry about those people watching you. Make it zero. Make it zero. Nothing you've held on to matters. Don't be vain. Don't act cool. Once it cools off, it's just worthless pride. Start over does not necessarily give you an answer about how to escape the pain that I've been elucidating so far in this episode. It doesn't tell you exactly what you have to do. It's quite vague. It suggests a a sort of vague resistance, an abandonment of the safe parameters that you can lock yourself in. It suggests that you can join with other people and inspire these feelings with them, hold their hand, break through the wall of the office, and run into the future that you imagine. It pictures a cult of women doing a corporate meeting ritual in which they seem to possess evil itself. I mean, it it has all of these images, and yet what I really like most about it is that it has no specific prescription. It doesn't tell you how you're going to get out of this. It may show you the evils of it and lead you in some direction or another, although I can't really say for sure what that might be. But the feeling I got in my gut when this video ended and this song began to infect my daily listening habits was that the world is this dark, terrifying, unfortunate, and unproductive force that topples further and further into desolate depths of unknowable misfortune. But you can't use it as an excuse. No doubt I have been wont to do that in the past few weeks. I've felt the urge to just submit to my pain and then descend into unhappiness with my condition and leave it at that. Because I felt that my art is not as meaningful or correct as maybe I once imagined it to be, I definitely sort of took the anti-start over, the 
end under approach to things and let myself just sap in pain. But this song, if it tells you anything, is that you can't do that. You can't just accept your own misery as you're waiting in line at the convenience store to warm up your bento because you're too lazy to cook. You have to start over. There's a really fascinating postmodern element to the artistic uh, direction that this single takes. I just bought five singles, um, five copies of the single, four for Carlton and uh, one for myself. And the artwork is really fascinating because like the first cover single, which I reproduced for a silent majority, the photos are taken in Shibuya. And it features the girls being ripped apart by AI-generated alteration. They're standing in Scramble Crossing, one of the busiest places in the entire world where tens of thousands of people cross every several hours. And it shows some strange digital effect pulling them apart. And yet, in every photo, their faces are still visible and looking optimistically, if not somewhat melancholically, towards the camera. That these photos were taken in the very place where the group's history began, and they had to literally start over and recreate their entire mission and do it all again from scratch feels really meaningful to me. The touch of the strange AI ripped apart digital noise that sucks on them in these weird pink distortions on the cover really kind of resonates with my idea of the difficulty and the hardship that that would entail. To start over is not easy. You can't just do it. You have to recognize the misery in yourself and then personally pursue overcoming it. In short, what you have to do is you have to fight. Reality is reflected in the window's glass. My heart wants to turn its back on it, but the moment you step through the automatic door, you can become someone else. The only question is, where do you start over from? Seconds before you almost gave up, of course. To start over is not just a single for me at this point. It's not just a lyric and a song. This is my entire new philosophy as to how to approach the darkness of life on Earth. It is a recognizable aesthetic quality. To start over has a visual tone for me that I think translates to readings of other pieces of art. To start over is the enormous blue sea. It's the enormous blue sky. It's to recognize that you are unhappy with your conditions and to peer into infinity and commit to recreating yourself no matter how difficult or painful it may be. Start Over is Taylor Swift re-recording her entire discography because she has a embittered and female vengeance towards the man who stole her music from her. Start Over is 
lightning in the end of the Final Fantasy XIII trilogy walking into real-world France. Start over is Ikari Shinji deleting Evangelion from the universe and becoming a real person. Start over is Barbara Streisand on the beach on the cover of People looking into yet another body of water and imagining that despite all of the heartache and deeply painful emotions that she experiences towards men can be sung about and she can recreate herself as a star. I really feel as if this like blue color palette on the covers of this single really identified this like lurking presence in a lot of the art I'm so obsessed with. It sees infinity. It sees the idea that you can merely decide and choose yourself, that you hate the fucking shit and nonsense around you and delete yourself and walk into the real world as a new person and recreate yourself. And it won't be easy. It's not going to be simple. You still have to endure masses of heartache and trauma and the monotony of the real world. But you can start over. You can walk into the blueness and the distortion and you can grin through it. It is not about creating a new universe. It is not about seeping into the muck of endless discourse where you just prattle on about the problems that upset you. It is not about any of those things. You have to truly delete the things that make you unhappy. I'm not there yet, and I still don't know what I'm going to find beautiful in this world that is torturing me so. But that's not what Start Over is about. Start Over is about having the courage and the belief in yourself that you can wipe it all off at any given notice. You can throw the bento out the window at the convenience store. You can grab someone by the wrist and just run for it. There's no miracle waiting for you. No one is going to do it. There's no kamisama or god that is going to hold your hand and give you the strength and self-power to delete yourself and do it again from scratch. The only person who can do it is you. And you can't let the horrors of the universe stop you from doing it. Because so long as you have consciousness and subjectivity and a soul, you have the gift of being able to form yourself in any way you want. I imagine I sound like something like a self-help podcast at the moment, but the only person I'm helping is myself, to be quite honest. I have to say these things out loud because I'm talking to myself. This podcast is truly for no one but me at the end of the day. And after the um, difficulties, let's say, I've had over the past uh, spans of time, I don't want to suffer anymore. And I'm going to keep suffering, but I can start over. I can get rid of the shit I hate. You can block the people that you don't like on Twitter. You can mute the annoying takes about transgender politics. You can break up with your boyfriend. You can survive getting assaulted at a bar. You can do any of these things and then immediately start over. You can look into the blueness of the world. You can rewrite your album and re-record it. And in the end of the music video for Start Over... It has a strange cyclical loop where everything is reversing and we're looking once again at Karin-chan. 
as her nose begins to bleed. But this time, instead of looking at the blood incredulously and in a state of mild horror, she wipes it all over her face and grins, looking directly into the camera. I've elected to live in the real world. There's no fantasy universe or new philosophized reality that I can create. And I am deeply unhappy. But I do feel as if it is my mission to start over. Pick it up from scratch, do it again. And this time when I search for meaning and beauty and joy and passion on earth, no matter how much trouble I'm having doing it, I can wipe all of that pain all over my face and smile through it as I'm bleeding all over. As my office is desecrated and I'm miserable where I am, I have the choice to start over. Start over. And you have to fight to do it. Those who don't fight won't survive. Here we go. Next week on the show, we'll begin that fight together with a discussion of Kamen Rider Ryuki. As always, the show won't be happening unless I'm supported on Patreon and I'll reward you with extra special episodes of Siren. So please join us on patreon.com slash I'm so popular. Oh, they don't meet you, okay,